This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Bridget Pru here with Scott McLaughlin. Brian is enjoying his week somewhere, I'm guessing, Lake Squam. I'm up here at Lake Winnipesaukee. Scott, unfortunately, has had no time off because free agency started July 1st. The Bruins were very busy in free agency. Uh, then rookie development camp started, and Scott's been all over the place interviewing so many people. Um, this podcast is special because Scott actually had a chance this week to talk to two of the Bruins' top prospects. So he had a chance to talk to Mason Lorai and Fabian Lysel. They both had some really interesting answers, in particular some of the Lysel stuff, especially to do with his health, uh, is something to definitely stick around and listen to for this episode. Scott, I guess, where do you want to start? Rookie camp? Well- Free agency, because I wasn't on the last podcast. I was on vacation. So, I mean, there's just too much to talk about right now. We're midsummer, but everything yeah. started to happen. I think, yeah, we definitely want to get your your free agent takes and Bertuzzi leaving, but might as well start. You know, you touched on Lysel. I think that's a good place to start because, uh, as you referenced, his health, his season ended with a concussion on a really dirty hit in the playoffs against Hartford. Um, Hartford's Adam Clendenning. It was late. It was blindside to the head. And Lysel suffered a concussion and has had like a sore neck, like lingering issue, um, which is actually what held him out of the first day of development camp. Uh, as he was flying in, his neck stiffened up and Bruins just decided to play it like super safe. Um, he got back on the ice on Tuesday, but has been in a no contact jersey where we are recording this Thursday morning. So uh, there's still two more sessions to go on Thursday and Friday, but yeah, it, he said he admitted like it threw off his off season training. He couldn't really go full speed right from the start. He had to focus on the recovery and now he's starting to ramp up and he said he felt a lot better. Like he's still getting treatment on his neck every morning, but feels good when he's out on the ice. So that's good to hear. Um, and yeah, him, and Mason Lorai, obviously Bruins top two prospects and two guys who could make a push for the team. I think, you know, if, if you had to bet right now, you'd probably bet on both of them starting the year in Providence, but there are opportunities there, especially up front for Lysel and for other young forwards. Like, you know, yeah, the Bruins just signed, you know, some veteran forwards, but they're not really anyone, you know, like Patrick Brown isn't going to, I made this point last, but like Patrick Brown isn't going to stand in someone's way if a young kid comes along and beats him out in training camp. So the opportunities are there. And for Lysel, 
like, you know, there could be opportunities even on second or third line. So if he can earn and push for that kind of spot, uh, it could be there for him. So, yeah, so we talked, we talked about his concussion. We talked about, you know, trying to make that push to make the team, things he's working on, how he thought his first pro season went, which he, he wasn't especially happy with the second half and, you know, we'll kind of get into, into why, but he did, you know, have a drop off and, and most notably at world juniors had zero points in seven games of Sweden. So uh, he yeah. talked about that and how he's trying to, you know, kind of put that behind him. Um, and then on, on Lori again, talked about him trying to make a push and uh, how he, you know, he spent a second season at Ohio state and then signed with Providence at the very end of the year and got, got into eight games in the AHL. So talked about, you know, kind of what that experience was like, what he learned, what he's still learning. Um, you know, that his work with Adam McQuaid, who he said has been, has been a big help for him. So yeah, Adam lots McQuaid of good is stuff someone that Adam McQuaid is someone that we see a lot. Like he's very hands-on and involved in rookie development. I'm not sure how much in recruitment, but I see him at hockey East games, uh, the hockey East tournament. I've seen him college hockey stuff uh, at the Bruins. So he's very hands-on and and some people might not know that, but behind the scenes, he's really watching his defensemen, even at the, you know, at the pro level, even in Boston and making assessments about like, okay, where, where do they fall in the depth chart? Do I have someone in Providence that, you know, ready and, and things like that. Yeah. And he does a lot of traveling during the season um, to see these kids and meet with them in person. You know, he'll go out to Ohio state for a weekend and spend that time with Laura. He'll go up to Quebec to talk to a Frederick Brunet or, you know, whoever it is like he's, he's all over. So um, yeah, definitely hands-on in that role. And I think like, actually, I think this role really suits him, but I guess another piece of news to note that happened this week is uh, John Gruden, who was the Bruins defense coach last year, left to become head coach of the Toronto Marlies in the AHL, which, you know, great for him. Like that's a good job. Head, I think anyone will take head coach over assistant, um, but it does leave the Bruins with an opening on their staff. And my first thought was like, Adam McQuay would probably be a great defense coach, but I also think he's so good in this current role and seems to enjoy it so much that, I, I wonder if he just stays there and they go with someone else for, for defense. Chara. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> uh, get the, get the gang back together. Cause Lucha just coming back, but and we still don't know about Bergeron, but um, I kid, I don't think Chara's coming back to coach, but <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that's, that's McQuaid's role. And Laura seems to really be learning a lot from him, from what he said. You'll, you'll be able to hear what he, he said about working with him. Um, and so, Scott, rookie development-wise, uh, you've been there for the last few days. I I haven't been there yet. Obviously, I'm in New Hampshire right now. But when I was – when I my very first year out of college, my very first rookie development camp that I covered, I remember there were some guys that were just, like, complete standouts. Um, and, and guys that you maybe didn't know going into development camp were going to, uh, you know, really stand out and make a push to be on – Boston and the year that I was there it was Charlie McAvoy's year that he his first rookie development camp um and Brennan Carlo uh, was another standout guy that 
the year that very first year that I was covering um this was for a different outlet but covering the Bruins um who so far for you has even if it's just their skating right like some of these guys have just this incredible elite skating ability whether it just be like smoothness or speed um anybody in any facet so far standing out to you I mean Laura is is an obvious one but I guess you know people probably want to hear that too like he has looked better than pretty much everyone else on the ice. Um, just looks really confident at all times. Like seems very efficient in his movements. Like you'll watch drills where other guys seem to really have to like work hard to keep up or stay in the play or whatever. And Laura just seems to be in like such good position that it like at times it almost looks effortless for him where it's like, Oh yeah, like uh, whatever. I'm here. I go. I I'll poke check this away. Like no problem. Um, break up this rush. So he's looked really good, um, both defending and obviously offensively, which has always been his strength. And you know, stood out in college. So you expect it to stand out against kids um, at this level. He is one of the older guys at this camp uh, at 22 years old. So um, he's definitely stood out. I think Matthew Poitra, their second round pick from last year, has looked really good. Um, stick handling, his passing. He's even had some really good finishes. Like he 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 was second in the OHL in assists last year, so automatically his playmaking jumps out just looking even just at the stats. But he had some, a couple of really good finishes around the net and showed off a pretty good shot that you know, maybe doesn't show up as much in terms of like goal totals. So he's been pretty impressive. Um, try, out of like the brand new draftees, I think Beckett Hendrickson has looked pretty good. Um, there's definitely some skill there. And we, we talked to Daniel Marmer after Wednesday's practice, who, you know, works with Adam McQuaid in the player development department. And she highlighted him as well. Um, when she was asked about this draft class. So those are a few just kind of off top of mind. Frederick Brunet, I think has looked pretty good um, both offensively and again, defensively, which his he's another guy who kind of like Lori, where it's like the defensive side of his game is a part that, you know, needs work. Like the offense has been there. He's got to work on defending, but he's looked pretty good in this camp too. Yeah, and I, I, the Bruins have been posting some videos coming out of camp, and I noticed the one where Laura is doing, like, the skating drills, like, weaving and, and whatnot. Just I'm guessing that's at the beginning of the day before they go into scrimmages and stuff. Um, and he just looks so smooth. Um, so he, from what I can even tell, just the small sample of videos that I've seen come out, uh, he looks like a very smooth skater. Um, and he seems to answer your questions with a lot of confidence. Um, and you know, that you, you do want a defenseman in particular coming into the NHL and feeling sure of themselves and sure of their ability to defend at that level. Otherwise you're, you know, you're getting beat or you're not, you know, if you're not strong enough on pucks, you're, you're not looking like you're looking like a rookie. You're not looking like a full NHL, uh, type guy yet. But the, the problem for him is, I mean, we know Connor Clifton, leaves but Shattenkirk comes in um in terms of what where the Bruins lost depth defense isn't really the biggest issue for them they still have five of their six defensemen from last year they add Shattenkirk uh 
on he was a league minimum was he not uh one million one million or just over a million it was like 1.05 million yeah so really close to minimum uh and he's a veteran that i think they want in the room especially if bergeron is gone so it is going to be harder for him to shoot his way into boston um rather than spend another year in providence well, and, and for, for Laura, it's really a first year in Providence. I mean, you only yeah. got eight games there. So I think that'll be a good thing no matter what. And, you know, if there's always injuries on defense, so there will be an opportunity at some point, like maybe he's in position to be the first call up and yeah. he potentially takes a spot and runs with it that way. But yeah, I, th- I expect him to start in Providence. And I think that's totally fine. Like get him some pro AHL experience beyond just a small sample size last year that, mm-hmm. you know, I don't think that's a bad thing at all. And, and uh, one last thing I'll mention from development camp, just in case like people haven't been following closely or whatever, and are wondering about, you know, some names I didn't mention guys who aren't there, Georgie Merkulov, Johnny Beecher, Mark McLaughlin. Like basically the idea is like, they've kind of aged out of this. They've, you know, they're a little bit on the older side as prospects. They've already played pro hockey. So um, I think the Bruins view with guys like that is usually there's not as much of a need for them to be at something like this. Yeah. And by the way, about Laura, he's a pretty big guy. Like he's yeah, NHL size, let's say he's six, four and two Oh nine. And, you know, so he's probably a little bit further along in the development in terms of putting on muscle, putting on weight, being that like NHL body uh i guess you could say whereas lysel as you'll hear um really feels like he has some work to do in that category um scott if you want to just touch on that a little bit because i feel like a lot of the lysel stuff that you focused on and that he answered for us was to do with his training um and you know his strength and and trying to improve that in the offseason yeah, it's it's a huge focus for him because there were times in Providence where he still could get knocked off pucks or, you know, not really hold up like down low. And like he, he likes going to the net front and, and being down low to his credit. He is like not afraid to go to those areas, but you've got to be effective when you go there and be able to hold up against bigger, stronger defensemen. So he's working on that. And, you know, again, like going back to the, world juniors in the second half discussion, he was very honest about like, he just felt like he got worn down. Like the, the length of the season, the amount of games like took its toll. So that's, that doesn't get any easier in the NHL. The season doesn't get any shorter. So, you know, that's going to be huge for him to basically to strengthen up and, and the conditioning to be able to endure a full professional season. Um, You know, Laura, you're right. Like has the size, I think, there's still strength that can be added there as well, or at least how to better use it in terms of like D zone battles and, and things like that. So yeah, yes, further along, but like still work even for him to do in that department. Yeah, for sure. I think that that's probably what, if you talk to any of those guys, they would tell you they're working on because that's, I mean, that's stuff that you really can work on in the off season. And, and sometimes, you know, you don't have the ability to do it as much during the regular season because you're working on all these other things um, and you're probably wanting to focus on resting in between games and things like that. So in the off season, um, 
you know, working on things like to me, and this, this is completely fixable. If you're willing to work hard enough, the conditioning of it, I feel like if he, if he works on the conditioning in the summer, um, with his natural skills and his natural speed, be, but being able to not wear down and have his energy drain, like he says uh, was happening to him. Uh, if you work on that conditioning and make that your focus in the summertime, and by the time the season starts, you know, you're looking at uh, not just a good first four months, right? You're, you're being able to hold on, hopefully, um, and have that consistency throughout the season. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, like you'll even hear, even if you put on that strength, muscle, weight in the off season, like being able to keep it on or keep most of it on, because you hear a lot about guys in the AHL or young professionals who will put on weight in the off season and then lose it during the season. Like pretty famously a couple of years ago when we were all talking about like Jack Stanika bulking up and looking jacked over, you know, jacked Stanika over the summer <laughs> like he put on 15 pounds and it was all muscle and then I remember like just kind of quietly reading a story in like February or, or something of that season and it might have been from Mark Diver or someone else who covered Providence at the time and it was like he had lost 15 pounds during the year so it's like okay well that that's all gone like either mm-hmm. by design because he you know couldn't really play at that weight or because it's just hard to like keep that all that on during during the season. You're you're playing so much, you're working out so much that mm-hmm. it's you know. I wish I had this problem, but for those guys, like in season, it's easier to lose weight than than to to put it on. So yeah, it is, especially in hockey. And my brother's a trainer, and like, I, I eat too much popcorn to lose weight during. Yeah, the season. you do, Scott. But I know you're never going to change. So uh, <laughs> this is going to be your weight. <laughs> so like my brother is a trainer and even putting on 15 pounds of muscle when, when you're already small, right? Like these guys are already in really good shape. So it requires eating a lot and, uh, and a lot of protein and a lot of lifting to put on 15 pounds like that. So, um, and obviously with all of the cardio that guys do just naturally, playing hockey that way can fall off if you're not nutritionally making sure you eat so many calories like he has a friend that just can't put on weight because his body just metabolizes everything too fast and he just he would need to eat an absurd amount of calories and then if you overshoot it then you're slower like it's it's hard to do uh, it's kind of a fine balance that that reminds me like I haven't written about this yet but we also talked to uh, Christopher Pelosi the Bruins he was actually the Bruins first pick this year in the third round. And, uh, and he was talking about how like he clearly has to put on weight. Like he, like he actually looks like almost skinny. So like he definitely needs it. And he, and he admitted that, but he said like his off season program, he's like, yeah, I have to eat. Like even when I'm not hungry, he's like, I usually just like don't eat a lot. And he's like, I just have to eat. Like, I just have to, he's like, you know, I'm like almost never hungry, but it's just, all right, it's time to eat. It's time to do more. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like that, and th- that's it why it's, have- it's, a, it's a new thing for those guys because yeah. really for most of them, you know, getting drafted at 18, it's like, yes, they've been doing training, you know, they come up through whatever program they're at and it's, it's all hockey focused, but for the most part, like a lot of those guys can just get by on skill to this point. And it's like, you don't have to worry about, or at least not as much about all the off ice stuff and 
you know, taking care of your body and all that. It's like, you're just skilled enough and so much better than everyone else that it doesn't really matter what you do. Yeah. And, and also part of the process is usually it's a bulk and then a cut. So like while you're bulking, it's fine if you put on a little bit of extra weight and really just work out more and then, then you cut after, but you probably don't want to be bulking necessarily during the season. uh, I wouldn't think, Uh, but yeah, you'd probably want to bulk in the summer, start cutting down and then seeing, um, you know, kind of go into a maintenance phase um, during the, during the season. It's hard. It's, they all have like great nutritionists, like the Bruins organization has, people around helping with each guy's individual programs of what they should be eating, what diets they're on, like monitoring their weight, monitoring their muscle, all that kind of stuff. So they get a lot of help, but for, like you're saying, for a lot of them might be the first time they're even hearing of some of this stuff. So yeah, it's, 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 you know, it's a good thing for them to go into camp and not just work on the skills part of it, but learn from, the nutritionists and different things like that. Yeah, for sure. Do you want to give, give your take on what the Bruins have done so far uh, since, you know, since free agency opened on Saturday? Yeah. Wow. So I was working Saturday um, doing the Red Sox and it was just coming down the line. And I actually was hopping on with Arcand a few times because news was breaking while Arcand was doing the show. And so I was there when they announced or when the news broke that Lucci was coming back, um, which was kind of like the, the big name one just in Boston because of the history here with Lucci. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't hate that. I don't, I don't see an issue with it if he's going to be a fourth line guy. Um, And he's once again, what the Bruins needed to do was fill out roster spots. So they were able to go and find these guys for, you know, million dollar, just slightly above a million dollar contracts. Um, They get Van Riemsdyk, who I always, he was a Bruins killer for a while. Um, And I've always liked his game. He's a bigger guy, played at UNH. So did all of his brothers. Um, He, so he has some local ties. He was really high draft pick, wasn't he? He was, he was yeah, pretty he was high. number three overall. Yeah, he was. And uh he has this great net front. Or was he even presence. number was he even number two? Was it Kane and then Van Reemsdyke? I think so, because I think that was the first time ever that two American born players were picked one and two. Yeah, I think you're yeah, it was. It was number two. Yeah, yeah. and so so he was, you know, he's obviously a little bit I don't want to say past his prime, but like, that sounds insulting, but, um, but you know, he is. I mean, if we're, if we're being honest, I know I'm just trying to not be insulting because I, I would hate if someone said that about me, but, um, so we're, we're in our, that's the entire skate pot team is in our prime. I, I think, of course, of course, peak form always in our prime We're we're doing great. Um, but so he's a really good net front guy. Um, he has a good sense on when to go to the net. He's, you know, great at screening the net because he's pretty big. Um, he, you know, theoretically that could help you on the power play if you really needed him to. Obviously, if you're missing Krejci and Bergeron, the power play is going to go right into the blender because you're going to need to switch up units. You need to find 
new centers for your power play units in that case. And you, you're going to have a completely different look to your power plays this year. So Van Riemsdijk could possibly be someone that goes and fills in maybe on the second unit. Um, depends how they want to use them. And, you know, maybe he causes enough havoc out in front of the net. They put him on the first unit because it, it helps open up guys like Pasternak. I could see that being a thing. Don't mind that move at all. Don't think the Lucci one is bad either just because of the price and because of how much people love him here. And also I'd be lying if I told you that I didn't want to see him bite some people. So <laughs> for us, for entertainment purposes, I'm cool with it. I uh, come great job getting Lucci back. Um, the, so then Morgan geeky, I want to get your opinion on this actually, because you had a chance to talk to him uh, earlier this week. Did you not Scott? And um, he yeah. spoke to the media, right? Um, and just impressions on him. He's, he's a center. He's young. Uh, he's 24, right? Um, yeah, he turns 25 later this month. Later okay. in July. What an old man. Just kidding. <laughs> um, so he's a young center. He's more than likely going to be your fourth line center. Um, but I think he's going to be on the third line. I think it's either going to really? be him or Frederick at center and, and the other on the wing. Oh, okay. Um, so anyway, that, that'd be even better, I guess, uh, if you were able to, well, maybe, maybe not, uh, he could only be on the third line because you're dealing with a bad center situation. But if, you know, if you can get, if you need someone to get more minutes, um, you know, when you want to throw them on the third line, um, then I guess that's good to have them there. But, uh, anyway, I wanted to ask you what you thought of geeky and especially after talking to him. Yeah, I think he's looking forward to hopefully, you know, getting more minutes, a little bit more of an opportunity. He's so he's been mostly a fourth liner in the NHL and has been on two really deep teams, Carolina and then Seattle. And I, you know, I was listening to to our state or um, who was I talking to? Maybe it was someone on our station, but made the point of like. So geeky said or, or Sweeney said about geeky that he you know he was buried he was like playing 10 minutes a night on a good seattle team we think you can have more opportunity here and actually it was, it was andy hart i was on fitzy and hart and they yeah and and andy was like wait so that means you're not as good as seattle and it's like well right now no you're you're not as deep as the kraken were last year but the kraken were a really deep team they were one and two with the bruins all year in five on five scoring like that was a good offense. So being on a fourth line there, like, isn't, that's not a bad thing. That was a deep team. Um, so I do think he's someone who could, you know, take advantage of more opportunity. His rate scoring, I made this point on the last pod, was very good. Like he's, you know, he was top 10 in assists per 60 minutes at five on five. Um, I think he was like top 50 in points per 60 minutes at five on five. So there are some encouraging signs there, but obviously if you move up in the lineup, you're also facing tougher competition. You're going to face more second and third lines than fourth lines. So, you know, you'll see how, it, see how he does, but like, there's definitely skill there. Um, he has a good playmaker. He has a good shot. He four checks, which obviously we know is, you know, an area of emphasis given that that was so decisive against Florida and even Carolina the year before. So, you know, he's, he seemed, 
I will say, like, he he's not... As an interview, he's, you know, a little quieter, shorter mm-hmm. answers. Um, especially considering, like, the other people we talked to, uh, Lucci, Shattenkirk, Van Riemsdyk are all veterans who are, like, really good with the media. So, um, you know, selfishly, from my perspective, like, hey, at least we, we got some guys who are going to be good interviews. Um, yeah, because, like, Nick Felino would give you the longest, well, best interview. And Taylor, Taylor Hall. Hall. Taylor yeah. Hall was great. Um, really thoughtful answers um, pretty much every time we talk to him and very accountable person. But <laughs> that actually kind of gets us to the next thing we didn't talk about, which, uh, I mean, you and Brian had a chance to. This whole Tyler Bertuzzi saga, um, it to me, more than anything, I I feel frustrated because I feel like the two sides could have come to a deal and it would have been beneficial for both sides. Um, but something must have happened in terms of timeline that, you know, the Bruins probably said, we need you to let us know before we go into free agency because we have all these gaps to fill. We need to know how much money we have. We need to, like, we need to focus on that once we once july 1st hits so if you want to sign with us this is the deal but you got to do it before and i think he said no i want to test free agency and goes out doesn't get probably what he wants and he gets a one-year deal in toronto um and scott i'm based on reporting he wanted obviously longer than a one-year deal he had a really good end of the season he you know he gambled on himself, I guess, when he went to the free market and, and turns out people maybe were more hesitant about the injury history or just uh, didn't see him as a fit, didn't have the cap space. There just wasn't as many takers, I assume, as he was expecting. And he ends up with having to take whatever the best deal was left on the table, which apparently was with Toronto. Yeah. I mean, I, I, do think he probably had better offers in longer term offers, but they were from non-contenders. They were from situations he didn't want to go to. And what's surprising to me is just like that him and his agent weren't, you know, didn't really seem to be like seriously considering this as a possibility where it's like everyone knew the free agent market was going to suck. Like the salary cap only went up by a million dollars. So the only teams that had any money to spend were bad ones. And some of them did, you know, you'd see like Ratko Gudis get overpaid and, you know, make 4 million a year with Anaheim. I, you know, Nick Felino, like love him, but obviously he got overpaid by Chicago because they could afford to do it. Like it, it's, it's not an overpay for them because they got to spend money somewhere. So like, you might as well, you know, get a veteran or whatever. Um, so yeah, like I'm sure there were, there was, you know, an Arizona or an Anaheim out there willing to throw money at Bertuzzi, but like, okay, congrats. You're going to spend five years rebuilding, you know, Kevin Shanker just talked about this coming to Boston. When we talked to him on Wednesday, like he won the cup with Tampa in 2020 parlayed that into a nice payday with Anaheim on a three-year contract, but spent three years on a, you know, three years in his thirties, on a rebuilding team that didn't even sniff the playoffs. And he was like, yeah, like that was enough of that. I wanted to go to a better team. Um, So yeah, like ultimately I think Bertuzzi ended up in a good situation. He's probably going to play on a line with Austin Matthews 
um, and then cash in next summer. But I don't understand like why they weren't because it does seem like they told Sweeney, like we're not interested in a short term deal. We're going to get something long term. And it's like, how could they have possibly thought like that was so guaranteed? Um, You know, and then obviously now the big criticism of Sweeney that you hear from some people is why didn't he wait a day? Like, why didn't he wait to circle back and see what, see what happened, which I think there's some fairness to that. Like he apps, he could have, obviously he decided on, you know, a different path and signed the guys he wanted to sign. I don't think, you know, the other thing you hear with this is like, was anyone really knocking down the door for Van Riemsdyk and Shattenkirk and Lucic? And it's like, well, yeah, Lucic, I think he could have waited on. Like, I think he wanted to sign with Boston no matter what, and would have waited just to get a deal done. The other guys, I don't know that it's such a given that they still would have been there. Like, I think, I think Van, I know some people think Van Riesink and Shan Kirk are washed up. I don't, I, I think they're still pretty good players. So it's not like you're paying them top dollar. It's absolutely possible that they had other one year, $1 million offers sitting there on Saturday and could have just chose someone else could have told the Bruins, you know, Hey, yeah, I'm interested, but if you're telling me, no, we're going to wait out Tyler Bertuzzi first, well, I'm not going to wait that out. I'm going to go sign with someone else. Also, uh, if yeah. they were to have pulled off the Tyler Bertuzzi thing, they would have like still plenty of gaps to fill <laughs> with less money to fill it. Um, and it would have it would have caused stress to the point where maybe you do have to see Allmark go out the door. So you know, you're, you don't keep Bertuzzi, but you probably would have had to give up someone else to alleviate the cap space. Maybe that's when we see all market dealt. So maybe the judgment at the end of the day too was, well, maybe we should just keep the goalies we have use the money that we have left instead of going towards Bertuzzi to fill in all these gaps, especially if they know Bergeron and Krejci are not coming back. Um, so they have these holes to fill and, you know, they kind of have to bargain shop with it because they were already strapped in the first place. So would it have been nice for Bertuzzi to stick around and stay? Did he fit well in Boston? Yeah, he did. Um, they're going to have to make do without him. Does, you know, how much do you think, Scott, this changes, uh, you know, maybe their ceiling for, for a play for the playoffs? Like, even if we're just talking about a regular season ceiling um, in terms of, you know, where they finish one through eight in the conference. Yeah. I mean, so I haven't done like a super deep dive on every other team yet, but like just in my mind, looking at this team, I see a team that should still be a playoff team, but is closer to, it's closer to eight than one. Like yeah. it could be a wild card team might not be top three in the division. I, you know, Brian and I were talking about this. Like, I think, I think Toronto and Florida on paper looked better right now. Um, Tampa lost some key players too. I think like them and the Bruins are probably kind of right there in like a similar spot as having lost a lot, but still have some really good players that are going to, you know, you would think allow you to keep your head above water. So um, I sort of see them in like that three, four in the division somewhere five through eight in the conference area. Um, And yeah, I do think their ceiling would have been higher with Bertuzzi, but to your point, like you probably have to move someone else out. You still have to fill, you still have to fill out your whole roster. So whether that's with 
$800,000. No, we just won't have a fourth line this year, yeah. guys. We just so, like, don't whether, need one. Whether that's with $800,000 AHL guys or $1 million Lucic and Patrick Brown, like you still need players in those spots. You can't roll out nine forwards and four defensemen on opening night. So. Come on, Scott. <laughs> yeah. Just... But, you know, so the other thing on that, though, and, and I'm repeating myself a little from the last podcast, but because it's been such a talking point this week, especially since, like, regular hosts came back on Wednesday after the holiday, I am of the opinion that I would not have salary dumped another player. I think you had to suck it up and do it with Taylor Hall because you had to do it with someone. Someone had to be a pure salary dump just so you could fill out a roster. I think it would be really bad business to take, you know, a, a real lesser than deal for Lena Selmark or even mm-hmm. for Matt Grizzly. And I think Sweeney has definitely explored the market for both of those guys and for other players and has found there just aren't offers out there that he feels even approach fair value. Mm-hmm. That's what I think. And I am fine with hanging on to those players in that case because I think it becomes really bad business to basically give away the reigning Vezina Trophy winner. But it seems like there are people who feel like they should have done that in order to keep Bertuzzi. I wouldn't. Like, if that's the choice for me is, like, salary dumping the Vezina Trophy winning Allmark to keep Bertuzzi or keeping Allmark and just letting Bertuzzi go and not, you know, being held hostage by other teams, I am fine with keeping Allmark in that situation. And you'll find a way to replace Bertuzzi, who I think is a good player, but, like, not a superstar, not, you know franchise type player um a good player and, and someone i wish they'd kept i i don't like losing them but i'm also not moving mountains and dumping contracts left and right to do it and i also feel like he it's not a certainty that he you know has plays as well for you know a consistent amount of the season as he did in the playoffs and i do feel like there was still parts of his game that i didn't like um, and so at missing out on him, you know, yes, you're missing out on a good player, but maybe in the long run, it works out. You didn't have, maybe, you know, having the, the goalie duo, maybe Swayman gets hurt. Maybe one of them gets hurt and you're like, wow, I'm really glad we had both of them again this year. Um, so it, I think that it could end up working out. Um, obviously you don't, I think they wanted to keep Bertuzzi, but, um, at the end of the day, you know, you, we're talking about the team having to give get rid of someone else, maybe Allmark. And we had a source that thought that Grizzlick was going to be moved on the second day of free agency. That didn't happen. Now, so the I wonder, second day of the draft, like, second day of the, sorry, yeah. second day of the draft, um, maybe for a pick um, or as part of a deal that included picks that didn't happen. Um, but that morning, somebody that I know had who would know <laughs> uh, at least have some sense had mentioned that they were looking to move Grizzly that day. Um, doesn't happen. Grizzly stays. I'm cool with that too. I like Grizzly as a player. I've been on record saying that before um, and their defense isn't as tampered with as what they had to do up front. Yeah. Uh, by the way, Don, Don Sweeney accused me of starting the Grizzly rumors. I don't know if you heard that, but no, what you, no. Well, I, I I asked him about, like, you know, there's been rumors around Grizzly, like, just what is the organizational relationship like with him right now? Um, and Sweeney was like, well, I didn't start the rumors. 
And he's like, maybe you guys should look in the mirror. Yeah, well. I was like, I don't, th- I don't think I started them either. I mean, no, I but don't have the, I don't have the best memory, but I don't think it was me that started the Grizzly. Well, Bears. going back, I believe Greg Hill had one of the first like reports of Grizzly. Yeah. Anyway, um, we do have sources that say these things. That's why we ask the questions. But um, yeah, no, I don't think it was you, Scott. 